0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates
1: price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24 seven podcast coming from downtown Dallas, Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, Here for the Cotton Bowl, we're recording on Friday early afternoon, less than 24 hours away from kickoff, 11 a.m. here Saturday, the 84th Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Penn State uh, looking for win number 11 on the season. They're going up against the AAC champion Memphis Tigers, who for the first time in their program history have won 12 games on the year, and uh, you'll hear more about Memphis and and what they bring to the field. Uh, A little bit later here on the show, we have Christian Fowler, who covers the Tigers for 24-7 sports. But first, before we get to that bowl matchup, Sean, news coming on Thursday morning, uh, right as everyone's getting ready to head over to to Penn State's Media Day at AT AT&T Stadium. They find their uh, man, and they find a familiar name uh, for the offensive coordinator role replacing Ricky Ronnie. One of the first names brought up in the search, Kirk Sharaka,
0: offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. You know him as one of the two teams that beat Penn State this year. Um, Impressive performance out in Minneapolis, no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, you got this going. You you added a little bit of experience to the mix. That's one thing that we always talked about. Uh, This was not really a job to learn on uh, on the fly, and that's something that Ricky Ronnie tried to do. And as I've mentioned before, Ricky Ronnie, not as bad as you're going to remember him. Uh, but still, this is uh, one of those things where they can, you know, take the next step forward as James Franklin wants to put together a championship uh, or playoff caliber offense. I mean, this is one step forward. We, and, and, and we'll get into 2020 and all that kind of stuff. But for now, you're bringing a Pennsylvania guy home, 22nd ranked scoring offense in the country. And really, I mean, you got to put that in perspective, what they did at Minnesota, what P.J. Flex has been able to do at Minnesota uh, with Kirk Shiraka and at their previous stop at Western Michigan, has been some really, really uh, productive offensive
1: football. Franklin referred to him as a proven playmaker, and said that's really what they were prioritizing during the search for the right fit at offensive coordinator. You look at a guy who's proven himself multiple programs. He's been Fleck's right-hand man. I know this has got to be pretty tough. I think Fleck referred to it on the practice field as Minnesota is getting ready for their, their Outback bowl game against Auburn as kind of a small breakup because seven years with the same guy as the offensive coordinator, he really entrusted him with a lot of Western Michigan, a lot of success there. They were in the cotton bowl just what three years ago uh, with, with, with Western Michigan. And and so uh, it goes to Minnesota. We, we had a firsthand account of what they were able to accomplish. And you know this is exciting, especially I think when you look at the quarterback position, Tanner Morgan blew up as a red shirt sophomore Again, saw that firsthand from Nittany Lions' point of view, and uh, I, I think you know you look across the board at the names that were on it. This is you know, one that I think generates a considerable amount of excitement and someone who certainly, as you said, there is not going to be any kind of learning curve. He's got a plan. Uh, he's going to try to what Franklin referred to as blend uh, with what they think they want to continue concept-wise at Penn State, what they want to accomplish, but uh, certainly there are aspects of, of what he has done in his career that are going to be new wrinkles and, and you know new philosophies coming to Happy Valley. And you take a look at the lists and things like that that we had. And of course,
0: James Franklin kept a, a very tight hold on information during this search. But Sharocke was one of the first names that popped up. Logically, he's a Lewisburg, Pennsylvania native. I um, mean, right down the road, he played at Juniata, graduated from Temple. He coached at a, a few stops, you know, in and around this region. So a lot of connections that will draw him back to to Pennsylvania. And you know, it's going to be a fresh start recruiting for him because obviously Minnesota recruits a different area. They they try to do some different things. There's not a whole... Uh, overlapping targets. I mean, you guys, we reached out to Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams really didn't know who Kirk Chiraco was other than, you know, Minnesota had a great year. He put together a great year. So, you know, so we'll, that'll be a work in progress. We'll see where he targets. Uh, of course, Penn State's uh recruiting in the 2020, uh excuse me, in, in 2020 is pretty much wrapped up, but 2021 wide open a lot of talent out there in the region. So, we'll see how what kind of impact that has on it. But this is a guy that's well regarded in the profession. We've gotten a lot of texts from coaches across the the country and 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 let's be honest coaches like coaches I mean that's just the way it goes um, you know in the profession a lot of support but this guy that's really well regarded in that industry um, he's been around for a long long time I think he's a, a you know a tremendously nice guy from the, the the people that we've talked to so it's gonna be um, it, there's gonna be a transition but at the same time I don't think you're gonna see that much different from what you saw from Penn State offensively this year Minnesota you know they they, they do some different things they play to their strengths really well and I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from watching Kirk Sciarocca playing to those strengths. He had phenomenal wide receivers. He let them go up and make plays. The running game was very strong. And I think that uh, you know those guys uh, at those two positions are going to be very happy, but I also think that quarterbacks um, is, is where it's going to make the biggest difference.
1: Yeah. Sean Clifford, Will Levis, got a chance to speak with both of those quarterbacks on Thursday afternoon, and, and each of them seemed to indicate they feel like it's going to be fairly seamless transition from what they have been studying, learning under Ricky Ronnie the last couple of years and and comparatively what is going to be incorporated with a new offensive coordinator. Um, so you know, both those guys seem pleased. They, they were focused on the Cotton Bowl. They had a chance to kind of, you know, basically have uh, in, in, an informal conversation uh, w- with their new play caller in the team hotel yesterday. But Tyler Bowen is, you know, calling plays for the Cotton Bowl. They're focused on that. But once they got in that play and get back to Happy Valley, there's going to be a lot of work to do. Uh, Franklin referred to it as a head start, the fact that he is here in Dallas. We'll talk about that more in a second. But you know, one, one thing that stood out is the production at wide receiver. I mean, Uh, The very productive day against Penn State for Minnesota's wide receivers, but I think it's been an issue. We talked about it a lot here um, on the podcast, the fact that beyond K.J. Hamler, there's been a steep drop-off. Only one other wide receiver on this roster in 2019 actually caught a touchdown that wasn't named K.J. Hamler. Jahan Dotson had four of them. You look at Minnesota, what they did under his direction this year, uh, two wide receivers over 1,000 yards, Two wide receivers with 11 touchdowns apiece, and another wide receiver, a third receiver who had five touchdown receptions, and I believe all three of those wide receivers scored against Penn State. So again, we have seen it here on the field in front of our eyes. And you know, by the way, the ability to use various uh, running backs. You know, they've had a lead uh, running back here the last couple years, but uh, this year three guys go over 400 yards. Uh, A couple years ago, they have two players go over 500 yards. A thousand yard rusher, both cases with Rodney Smith, and I think. That's another mystery that we want to see how it unravels for Penn State in 2020. They are going to have six scholarship running backs, it seems like, five of whom were blue-chip running back prospects, and the other is Journey Brown, who finished the strongest of the pack. So, you know, there's a lot of track record there that I think you can point to and say, how does this apply to Penn State's roster in terms of strengthening things? Uh, I think that's all important, and, and you know it's hard to ignore the evidence that's right there in the stat sheet and that we've seen in person. He'll be a great fit for the six-man running back
0: rotation that yes. we're going to be talking about next year, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, I just think it's really interesting the way that Tanner Morgan has, has progressed under him, com- completed uh, 58% of his passes last year, up to 66%. Doesn't really seem like a lot, but you talk about some efficient games, 20, 21 of 22 against Purdue. Uh, really just watching that Minnesota versus Penn State game really put those receivers in the right spot to make the plays. Uh of course Tanner Morgan was was kind of surgical that day. I, and I wouldn't expect Sean Clifford to come out and be 21 to 22 anytime soon. But really, I mean putting the guys in the right position to make the plays and it's and it's not about just sort of uh you know improvising say you, you come off of this read and this guy should be open. I mean it's about levels, it's about uh getting your receivers out yeah, out in the appropriate amount of space. And really they they did that. I mean just the way that they picked on Penn State safeties, I mean, it's got to get you kind of excited to to see what he can do uh, in a situation like this. Now, the receiver room is being rebuilt, I guess we could say, uh, as of now. So it's going to be a, a transition to see how he works with Jared Parker, see how he works with some of these other guys. I, I think the only thing that you would come away saying from this from this hire uh, is, is, what about the tight end? Minnesota really largely ignored the tight end. Of course, you've got Pat Fryermuth coming back. You've got a, a really good stable of players at that position. So we'll see how he adapts uh, at his next stop because it's it, it's not that he's been uh, running back heavy. It's not that he's been receiver heavy or anything like that, but he's done a good job of
1: playing to his strengths. I think what what, what Penn State's fans are going to be excited about, he's going to run the football. Oh, he's going to run the football. And then we just mentioned the, the nice stats for Tanner Morgan and the wide receiver group. Uh, but 64% of the time, they ran the ball, and, and you look at Penn State the last couple of years under Ronnie, right around 58% running the ball. Um, it was even split back in 2017, and then in Moorhead's first year, uh, you're looking at something similar with about a, 50, a 58% uh, rush. So, and, and we'll see how he runs the quarterback. I think that's going to yes. be something that, that that we
0: probably haven't talked about yet, there, where Sean Clifford was obviously beat up. Trace McSorley obviously beat up. If they can dial that back a little bit, and I'm not saying completely taken out of the game, but if they can dial... That back a little bit, put a little bit more on their running backs, put a little bit a little bit less on their quarterback running
1: the ball. I think you know you're not going to see the fall off that we, that we saw this year. Sean Clifford, I, th- I believe, finished as the team's third leading rusher this year. He had five touchdowns on the ground. Tanner Morgan this year, negative 59 combined rushing yards. So it's certainly a different scenario. There's probably a middle point, <laughs> a middle ground yeah. in that area. Yeah. yeah, I'd say so. But I think, you know, when you look at, uh, at at Chiraga, one thing that stands out is he has worked for now two other opposing Big Ten coaches uh, as an offensive coordinator. He worked for P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, as we all know. And then earlier in his career, he worked as an offensive coordinator for Greg Schiano the first go-round at Rutgers. So this is a guy who, you know, he again, he has the the sense of what it takes to, to kind of control your offense offense and and with the coach who's going to be a high-energy guy, you know, younger Greg Shiano, P.J. Fleck, those are coaches who demand a lot out of their staff. I think everyone who's familiar with James Franklin knows that there is a very high standard for what he expects from his coaches on a a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, whether it's the middle of the season or the middle of the offseason. So it seems like a great fit, and and, and quite frankly, I know Joe Brady was a name that was thrown around. That would have been at the very opposite end of the spectrum. Probably a sexy pick, one that would have, you know, brought about a lot of headlines because of what he accomplished at an early age at LSU. But, you know, again, you're getting a situation where you're handing over the keys to someone who has just not been in that spot ever. Brady would have been a a real splash hire, no doubt about it. And I
0: think, you know, I think Joe's going to be a phenomenal coach. You know, he's going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. Um, but it, it's one of those situations where, you know, you're not sure with the body of work that he's put together that he's going to be the guy that can, can run his own offense. And I think he'll get there, but that's a lot of risk because you're talking about taking a guy that, that LSU is willing to pony up its money for that knows how much, you know, you, you saw how much he changed that offense. Of course, Joe Burrow certainly helped, and a lot of the, the tools that he has at his disposal helped. But really, there was some unknown with Joe Brady. So uh, Kirk Sriracha, I, I I don't really want to say that Uh, It's a safer hire, but I I think the floor is a little bit higher than you would have gotten with a guy like Joe Brady. So... Um, every hire at this point is a home run hire. I mean, you know, this is the type of it's that time of year where every head coach that's been hired is a great hire. Every coordinator that's been hired is a great hire. This guy's well respected in the uh, in the profession and really has has put together an impressive string. And you know, people are going to probably single out Rutgers or some of his other stops along the way. And it's you know, I apologize here. It's hard to be successful at Rutgers. Um, but Western Michigan's offense was was really good. Minnesota, the the strides that they made was really good. And I think the biggest upgrade for Penn State is his experience. He's going to come in with his system. It's not going to be that much different than, than what you've seen with the Joe Moorhead, Ricky Ronnie system, but it's going to have a, a guy that put together that system calling it.
1: And I think based on what we've seen in the last couple of years, that can make all the difference in the world. And you know, even beyond that, Rutgers, this uh, time at Rutgers with Shiano, you know, he really built his case to make that jump to the FCS level at Delaware, and it was a really a special time for the Blue Hens. They were competing for national championships at the, I think back then it was still the Division One AA, now we know it as FCS, but you know, produced a couple quarterbacks who, who got opportunities in the NFL. Andy Hall was a six-round pick for the Eagles back in four and. Most notably, I don't care if you think he's a leader or not. He's a Super Bowl MVP, Joe Flacco, uh, first-round pick out of Delaware. Obviously, that was a second stop for him at the college level. But some nice resume builders. You throw in what we saw from Tanner Morgan uh, this past uh, this this past autumn, and you know there's a lot to like about what it could mean for Sean Clifford, uh, for Will Levis's development, and, and then those guys are uh, you know it's very clear they're excited to get to work. And and as much as they Got to know Ricky, Ronnie, and, and and you know they have pretty quickly turned the page. Talking with them, they're not lamenting about this this transition. It seems like they are uh, embracing it, as you'd expect. And Franklin, while he did not bring them in the room and say, "Give me your top five candidates," he he was in collaboration. sounded like with, with Clifford along the way, you know, wanting to use him as a soundboard for certain things. I'm sure he kept a lot of a, a lot of that internal, but Clifford was part of the discussion. He said he really uh, appreciated that, and both quarterbacks say. They have full trust that James Franklin was going to go out and do the best he could and try to tip this team to the national championship level. It would be really interesting to see how they play to the strengths. Of course, you
0: know, Will Levis as a redshirt freshman, obviously he's a runner right now, and that's what they could use him as. Minnesota would go to that uh, situation. You know, I don't, want, I don't want to call it a wildcat because it was a quarterback, but they would run their, their goal line package with a quarterback, so be really interesting to see how he adapts um to to the talent that's on this roster because you look at what they've got coming back in 2020 and this is aside from KJ Hamler or or if Justin Shorter were to come around and and that's that's another conversation uh Hamler says he's already made his decision so I don't think that's going to really impact it all that much Shorter popped up at Florida this week uh not really on a visit but he was in Gainesville and that's been a school that's been mentioned with him before so I don't think it changes his uh setup but if you're Justin Shorter, and we're playing hypotheticals here. Look at what he did with those receivers at Minnesota this year. Look at where at, at how those receivers are built. And I know Justin Shorter probably wants to forget, forget that game, forget yeah. Minneapolis. But he went up, uh, he, or he let those guys make plays. They did so. Really talented group of receivers. A couple of those guys are going to be drafted. Um, so it's, it's very intriguing. If you're a running back, if you're a receiver, very intriguing to see what they can do. Um, you know, James Franklin talked last week, I think at Media Day about how many miles these running backs have. And now all of a sudden you're going to throw two more into the, into the mix. He's going to have to manage that. It's going to be about balance in that situation. It's going to be about finding the top guys at that receiver situation. And it's going to be about integrating the tight end, the offensive line. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll see where it goes from there. They've got a ton of experience coming back. I don't really expect anything to change at that point, but you'll see what happens at, at a spot like left guard where Caden Wallace can maybe make a, a, a run at what I believe to be Mike Miranda's job right now. So He's going to have a lot of tools to work with. It's about finding the strengths, what he believes the the strengths are in that
1: offense and going from there. He's got a nice little welcoming gift, though, waiting for him in a Happy Valley. I think about a week or two after he sets up shop in his office, Kaziah Holmes comes to town, big-time running back prospect. He's getting a couple wide receiver prospects on campus. And then Micah Bowens will be there eventually, and that's the other interesting thing. Beyond Levis and Clifford, who are very much going to be in the spotlight this offseason, and their development will be focused on there are three scholarship quarterbacks on the projected 2020 Penn State roster who will carry four seasons of college eligibility. Micah Bowens, Taquan Roberson, and Michael Johnson Jr. None of them were personally recruited, uh, by their new offensive coordinator to Penn State but you know he inherits a room that we've talked about it a lot in the podcast is the the future star there and that in that mix of these three young players who we don't know much about at the college level at this point you know that's one of the one of the first things that Kirk needs to come to town and I'm sure he's going to evaluate as the quarterbacks coach exactly what he has in that room where needs where things need to be upgraded and additionally where he wants to focus his attention on the 2021 class because we have said there's about four or five quarterbacks with Caleb Williams topping the wish list in that class maybe he sees one of those guys in a different light than perhaps Ricky Ronnie did.
0: And on top of that, he already had a quarterback committed to Minnesota in 2021, 2021 is going to be a pivotal year for Penn state in terms of recruiting a quarterback, but this is nothing new. Caleb Williams is out there. Christian VU, uh, you know, maybe, uh, Jake Rubley. I'm not sure where things stand with him because he had that connection with Ricky Ronnie being from Colorado and, uh, Doug Nossmeyer's kid down in, uh, Garrett down in, down in Texas. So be really interesting to see what direction that goes. Um, Penn State, of course, is going to want to get these 2021 guys on campus in January. The entire month of February, I think sends the first weekend right before signing day, uh, is a dead period. So you're going to want to get these guys on campus as soon as you can, meet with them, see what happens with them, and, and, and go from there.
1: And you wondered, uh, what's the story with Sharaka? Is he going to join this team in Dallas? Is he going to see it through with Minnesota, which would be a strange situation despite a very successful season there with the Golden Gophers. He is not in Tampa with Minnesota as they prepare for Auburn. He is here in Dallas, uh, getting not really partaking in any kind of game plan development. That's Tyler Bowens' uh, interim status for this game. He's going to take it through the offensive staff. is going to is going to take it through the finish line here for 2019. But Franklin said the most important thing is basically just observing some of these practices, taking it all in from a culture standpoint. Uh, basically, collectively getting to know some faces, matching names to those faces on this roster, on the staff. These these, I mean, you see it. The Power 5 coaching staffs and support staffs are just massive. He can spend this entire trip in Dallas shaking hands and and introducing himself to people if he tried. Um, So I I think, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Franklin said it's a head start for this team going into their offseason and eventually spring practice. Just these few days uh, that, that Chiraca will spend with the quarterbacks and with the offensive Uh, room and get to know some of the personalities and and also he'll be observing very closely through 60 Minutes on Saturday when they face off against Memphis and you know it's an interesting thing, you and I spoke this guy has been the play caller for P.J. Fleck the last seven years and with a lot of success and he's done it here in the Cotton Bowl before I gotta imagine it's gonna be a bit strange for him to sit back as a spectator uh, while Tyler Bowen is dialing up the plays and
0: that's something Joe Moorhead did in the Tax
1: Slayer Bowl against Georgia a couple years ago, of course Christian
0: Hackenberg started that game but Trace McSorley finished it, got an idea of what to work with, and sort of went from there. So we'll see what happens. Of course, Tyler Bowen's gonna call the plays on Saturday against Memphis. If you were wondering, Kirk Shiraka made about one point or had it in his contract to make about $1.1 million this year. To me, that says something about uh, you know, the, the level of, of candidate that James Franklin was pursuing and the amount of, I guess, uh, capital that he was uh, allowed to go after these guys with. So um, from that standpoint, uh, I think that's a very uh, good sign from a a program health standpoint. We got Sandy Barber after James Franklin's press conference a little bit earlier today. She mentioned that some of the details of the contract would be out in early 2021. That 2020, I don't think they'll wait that long. (laughs) Hey, it might be. Who knows? Um, But uh, (laughs) yeah, that's... That's it. Um, But, uh, yeah, that will be out, and that assistant pull is so important in that, and that's one thing that she uh, admitted that James Franklin had to go with.
1: The way that she phrased that was they... They hit the number that Franklin wanted for that assistant pool. I'm sure that number is never actually totally met uh, by any head coach when when, what they want to be able to afford to pay these assistants. But look across college football, there's a lot of seven-figure coordinators out there right now, and, and a lot of them are preparing for college football playoff games this week. That's the way of the world. That's why college football is trending. Um, anything else on this? I mean, I mean, we're going to talk about this all off season and the development with Sharaka and this offense. Uh, anything else to add before we flip the script and, and get going with our Memphis preview? Not much. We had Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated on uh, before the Minnesota game. He was Fan phenomenal.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's going to come back next week and talk to us a little bit about that offense, what he saw from the development of that offense. So, I mean, honestly... You know, you kind of expected Ricky Ronnie to be back after the season. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. And all of a sudden, you've got a new offensive coordinator, which I think, uh, you know, a lot of Penn State fans, that's what they were pining for. So you never got, noticed you, it. Got what you wanted. You, you, you know, you didn't have to fire anybody. You didn't have to do anything like that. So. All of a sudden, uh, you're you're hoping there's an upgrade at the
1: position, and looking at his resume over the past seven years, you you gotta like where they stand with this. I think it's a, I think it's a very good hire. And considering the timeline here, pretty impressive stuff by Penn State to to kind of neat and tidy before they even get to to kickoff of the Cotton Bowl. And uh, you know, hats off to the administration and Franklin. Not only does he work a contract extension and deal with uh, the departure of Ricky Ronnie after you know being almost a decade together on the same staff, very quickly. Puts, finds his target in the Big Ten against a team that broke their hearts earlier this year and gets it done before either team enters a bowl. I think that's pretty big time.
0: Well, I think his hand was kind of forced. Of course, the Pioneer Press uh, out in Minnesota was the first one to mm. report this story. I'm not sure James was ready to, to jump on that one, but here we are in Dallas. Kirk Chiracus here as well. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's wrapped itself up very nicely, and score one for the flight trackers. They had the, that flight <laughs> from State
1: College to Minneapolis marked uh, shortly before Christmas, so uh, they certainly got that one done. We'll, we'll put uh, that subject on the back burner for now. A lot to come on it throughout the winter and into spring. For now, though, we'll turn attention to the 12-win Memphis Tigers program with Christian Fowler, who covers them for 24-7 Sports. We're here in Dallas uh, with Christian Fowler who covers Memphis football for twenty-four-seven sports. He's been covering the Tigers for a couple of seasons now, and he's gonna give us a little more in-depth analysis on what Penn State will be facing when they hit the field on Saturday at eleven AM for that kickoff. And Christian, first off, thanks for taking some time. Join us in our lovely hotel room uh, here in, in Dallas, Texas. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, we spoke about this when you came up to the room and, and you know, you did not see this Memphis team ending up in a New Year's six bowl. Playing in a game of this magnitude, Um,
2: you know, what has been the most surprising aspect of this Tiger season, from from your standpoint? Well, I think coming into the season, they were actually there was a couple websites that favored them to win every game, and I didn't I didn't expect that. Some of the fans jumped on that bandwagon, and then when they lost the Temple earlier in the season, everything kind of vanished. Like no one was talking about it anymore. Everyone said the Cotton Bowl was out of reach; it wasn't going to happen. And then they obviously rip off seven in a row, beat Cincinnati in the championship game, and and win back to back weeks against a, a really good Cincinnati team. So, uh, really the resolve of this team after that loss to Temple, because I think they were clearly the better team in that game, but they turned the ball over four times. And then after that, it felt like you know the the wheels really could have fallen off after that. They could have they could have went the opposite way, uh, but they didn't. They showed their resolve, one seven in a row, and, and here we are. We saw a team in person this year, the way
1: the wheels did fall off after, after a loss to Temple. The Maryland Terrapins happened to them. Memphis obviously surged the rest of the way. And interesting dynamic is the way they finished the regular season with Cincinnati and punched their ticket to a conference championship against Cincinnati to, to get to this point. Um, what was that, uh, you know, kind of the way that shaped out? Um, very rare. The uh, Memphis, when it earned its spot here, um, was there any doubt in your mind that
2: they could handle Cincinnati back-to-back weeks? Well, I felt like... You know, obviously, you said like you said, it's rare. This was, I believe, the fourth time teams have played in back-to-back weeks in college football history, which is which is obviously very unique. Um, and they switched quarterbacks as well. So in the first matchup, Cincinnati's backup quarterback, redshirt freshman Ben Bryant played. Uh, played very well, was a much better passer. In the championship game, their starting quarterback, Desmond Ritter, came back not as good of an arm, but he can run. So I thought Memphis would be able to handle that a little bit better, and they didn't. Uh, they weren't able to corral him in the pocket, so I, I honestly expected them to win by more than they did against Cincinnati. But they did. They took care of business down the stretch. Uh, both of those games were were tightly contested and really could have went either way. But once again, I think it speaks to the character of this team and the way that they're able to finish games. And uh, and I mean, Cincinnati is really a solid football team on both sides of the ball, especially up front in the front seven. So Memphis able to to handle them twice in back to back weeks is is pretty incredible. Memphis
1: ranked 17th in the college football playoff rankings,
2: um, 12 wins for the first time in school
1: history, outright conference champion for the first time since 1969. It's an historic season for Memphis, um, but they're without their head coach who you know helped build them to get to this point over the course of four seasons. Uh, he moves on to Florida State. We just had a chance to see uh, his replacement. Officially, the interim tag has been removed, and Coach Silverfield at the press conference um, why was he the right pick, and what do you think about him starting off his uh, his career against Penn State in the Cotton Bowl for for game number one?
2: Well, first off, that's got to be incredible for him. You know, not not only are, is he cur- coaching his first collegiate football game, but it is in the really the biggest game as far as spectacle goes in school history. I mean, Memphis has never been to a New Year's Six Bowl. They're playing against one of the most storied teams in college football history. Uh, so it's, it's got to be an incredible moment for him. But I really think he was the right guy because this is who everyone wanted. I haven't seen many coaching searches where a whole city just wrapped their arms around a coach. I mean, every it seemed like every fan wanted Silverfield, every current player, every former player, every recruit. I think him only losing one commit on in the early signing period said all we needed to know. Because it's pretty drastic for a coaching change to occur and you only lose one out of 14 commits, and you sign everyone in that class. So I think that says uh, that the players love him, recruits love him, and it was, just, it was just the right choice. I mean, he stayed here. He's turned down some, some big Power 5 jobs and some NFL jobs to stay at Memphis because this is the job that he wanted.
1: Transfer market at quarterback has been crazy in college football recently, and and maybe a name that's gone overlooked until this point, Brady White. He'll get a chance to showcase what he's all about. But uh, for those who follow national recruiting closely, he was one of the bigger names in his class coming out of Southern California, with guys like Ricky Town and Blake Barnett, and, and that in that collection. And here he is working his way, you know, from the Pac-12 now to Memphis. A couple of really productive years, and and he seems to be a guy that. Um, If you're from a Penn State vantage point, he worries you a little bit because he seems like he maybe has that confidence and that ability to keep Memphis in this game and and, and keep them in play if it turns into a bit of a high-scoring affair.
2: Yeah, the switch that he's really flipped down the stretch this year is is pretty incredible because last year a lot of people weren't happy with the way he played. He did have good numbers, but it, it really didn't tell the full story of how he played. They relied on screens and a lot of Daryl Henderson last year. Uh, not many big passing plays, and it looked like it was going to be the same going into this season. That's how they started against Ole Miss, they only scored 15 points. Uh, same thing, a lot of screens, a lot a lot of short dump offs, slants, and then uh, you know early in the season against uh, I believe it was against Tulane, they finally started letting him unleash it a little bit and throwing down the field. They actually put Kenny Gainwell out wide and, and let him work one-on-one with cornerbacks, uh, and Brady was able to to launch him down the field to him. And that was something that he had never shown at Memphis until earlier in the season, that he could push the ball down the field. So I think when he was finally able to do that, the confidence came. Uh, then you saw Antonio Gibson develop into what he's become. DeMonte, obviously they knew what they had in him. Uh, and just re- receiving threats really popped up everywhere because of his confidence. Kadarian Jones came on because of him. Calvin Austin came on. Uh, because of Brady White's confidence. So if he's able to get started early, which is something that this Memphis staff has tried to do with him uh, since that two-lane game, is is let him throw the ball early and get comfortable. Because typically when he gets comfortable, he stays that way. He can hit the down-the-field shots, and he can get you into the right place.
1: Nearly 7,000 passing yards, 59 touchdowns in his two seasons as Tigers' starting quarterback. Sean, I've been hogging the questions here. You want to chime in? That Memphis SMU
0: game was one of the best games I watched. Not maybe the best game I watched, but one of the most exciting games I watched this year. That Memphis offense obviously has got got a lot to it. Um, What kind of threat do you think they can impose to this Penn State defense, and and how entertaining has it been to watch an offense that, you know, it's it's not just to spread them around like Texas Tech and throw it. There's a a running game aspect to it. How
2: fun has it been to watch this offense? Oh, I mean, last year the offense was explosive, but it was built... Really around the running game. Like you said, now it's there's so many different dynamics that, that they can really do anything on any given play, and I think it does make them dangerous. I mean, no one's really been able to stop them this year. The only quote-unquote bad game they had on offense was against Ole Miss when they scored 15 points, and, and they didn't know what they were doing at that point. They didn't know uh, what they were going to do with Kenny Gainwell Uh, that Patrick Taylor started the season at running back that was the game that he got injured in so uh, there was a lot of stuff happening at the beginning of the season but overall it's been it's been a ton of fun to watch because it has been one of the best and and most productive offenses in the country Uh, but with Penn State I mean the and you kind of said it just the dynamic is what presents a problem because they're not one-dimensional they can really do everything they have weapons in the slot on the outside In the backfield there's just there's just so many ways they can attack so if they're if they're able to you know hold that front seven and and hold those defensive ends then they should be able to make some plays down the field a couple notable
0: departures for
2: Memphis after the season of course the starting offensive tackle starting tight end how much
0: is that going to impact their their approach this week
2: well I think with Joey Magnifico I mean he was a a three-year starter and played as a freshman as well actually came in as a walk-on really one of the most beloved players that that's worn a Memphis uniform uh, and he did so much more than stats show. I think he had 335 yards and two touchdowns, or three touchdowns this season. Uh, but his blocking skills are absolutely incredible. I mean, a lot of a lot of Memphis's run game is based on uh, tight end blocking, and, and the way that they can get to the second level. And Joey really developed into an incredible blocker, and it's a big reason why uh, the running game has been so successful. And then with Scotty, uh, he started every game at right tackle. And I I believe what's been happening in practice is they've moved left tackle Obina Eze over to right, and Brian Thomas and Michael Denson have been working At left tackle so it's it's that's that's a little different to say the least uh, to have a new blind side tackle against one of the best defensive lines in the country I mean that's that's what they've been doing in practice it could end up completely different so it will be interesting to see what they do because obviously containing this defensive line or trying to slow down this defensive line to me is is one of the keys of the game
0: we just talked to to Ryan Silverfield he was asked about the offense it seemed there was a little ambiguity in his answer about how much he'll be involved how much is that going to how much do you think that has changed uh, their approach since the end of the season with the coaching change how much do you think this offense
2: will change going into to, till tomorrow well I think I think going into the next season we could see some bigger changes but you know you've played thirteen games up to this point there's not much that you can change uh, the way that I've said it is you know Kevin Johns has taken over the play calling duties from not with Mike Novell leaving uh, so you could see some different wrinkles and and a different thing here and there but I think you know schematically and and for the most part everything will be the same that we've seen all season and i I mean obviously at this point if you're Ryan silverfield and the memphis staff you have nothing to lose you've had the best season in school history i think you go out there you throw the kitchen sink at penn state and see what happens i mean with nothing to lose i mean is, is that more are they a more dangerous team right now do you think than they were a couple of i guess a month ago absolutely i think they're more dangerous now than they were against cincinnati and i think you see that in play calling in those two cincinnati games uh, they tried to run Patrick Taylor a lot, just to uh, to wear down the front seven of Cincinnati. And they could, I mean, they could do something similar because Penn State's solid up front too. But I think at this point, uh, you're not playing for a conference championship. You know, you've already done that. You've you've done all these things. You're not expected to win this game. This is, you know, one of the best teams in the country that had a very difficult schedule, and that's why they're ten and two. Um, so you go out there, you throw everything you can. Don't be conservative. Uh, and at the end of the day, hope you can make more plays than they make
0: defensively sorry Tyler defensively it's, it's not the same story this is a team that's given up a lot of points I mean all the all the talk basically all the talk this week is going to be about Penn State's defense against Memphis's offense flip that around for us what's the what are you looking for when Memphis is on defense
2: well Memphis has been very improved this season Adam Fuller obviously left with Mike Norbell to go to Florida State uh, so former linebackers coach, Kevin Kloon will be taken over as interim defensive coordinator. Uh, but that I mean, to me, that's an interesting matchup as well, because Penn State hasn't had an explosive offense for the majority of the season. Uh, Memphis's defense will give up some points and yardage for sure. Uh, and, and to me, that could be the matchup that decides the game more than the one that everyone's talking about. because if uh, it, you know, if Penn State's able to score uh, early in that game and, and get up on Memphis because the defense isn't playing well, uh, then I th- I think that could that could be the ball game, or if Memphis's defense is able to force some turnovers and make some timely stops, then that could open it up for Memphis's offense. So that matchup's not being talked about, but I mean it it should be very interesting. Uh, Memphis's front seven has has been much better this year, but they've been weak in the secondary. So it's a uh, it's kind of the same thing. It's just it's strength on strength against weakness on weakness. So it should be fun to watch. If
1: if are Penn State defensive coordinator Brent Pry and you got less than twenty four hours now to to finalize your plans for this matchup. Which Memphis player would Penn State be better off being able to shut down in some way? Demonte Coxie at wide receiver or Kenny Gainwell at running back? Gainwell, fourth in the nation in all-purpose yards. Coxie, back-to-back, 1,100-yard receiving campaigns. Who is,
2: is more vital for Memphis? I'm going to go off the grid a little bit. I think Antonio Gibson is what Ooh. makes this offense roll. Antonio Gibson is what is what makes it because he makes plays as a receiver out of the backfield on special teams. Uh, He he can really do everything, and especially in those two Cincinnati games, he was used a ton in the backfield. Uh, So Memphis has put that on tape a lot this year, is him in the backfield. So uh, whether he's in the slot, whether he's outside, whether he's returning kicks, whether he's running the football, he is just an explosive athlete. I mean, he makes he sometimes he looks like an NFL running back, sometimes he looks like an NFL receiver, and there's not many players in the country that can do that. So if they're able to neutralize a guy like that that can do everything. Uh, that's that's one less we- weapon that you have to worry about in, in multiple aspects of the game. Conversely,
0: on the Penn State side, is there a guy that Memphis, you think, has to neutralize on this uh, offense or defense, really?
2: Well, I think uh, Gross Matos is obvi- is the obvious answer. I mean, he's projected to be a first-round pick, and especially with what Memphis has going on the offensive line right now, if they're not able to neutralize him, if he's able to, to get penetration all game, if he's able to wreck the running game and get pressure on Brady White, Then that really wrecks your game plan because Brady White's confidence is centered on having time in the pocket. That's what he's had all year. The offensive line has played very well for the most part, uh, despite being a a fairly inexperienced group. Uh, So if they're not able to block him, if they're not able to stop him, then then he could end up being a game wrecker.
1: Well, we know you you have a lot of work to do, just as we do before this game. But uh, let me leave you with this one: Um, When you look at the matchup, if you're ready to give a prediction, we'd love to hear it. Uh, But additionally, what? Would, would Memphis be able to do uh, to put themselves in a spot where you would be convinced they can win this game? And where, aside from maybe Brady White getting pressured, where could things spiral out of control for this Memphis squad if it goes in the opposite end?
2: Yeah, so if they're going to get it done, if they're going to take care of business, they gotta, they've got to start fast. It's been the thing all year. They've been able to start quick and get on top. That's what they have to do, especially against an offense like Penn State that's not very explosive. If they can get up, uh, allow their defense to kind of pin their ears back and, and rush the passer, I think that they have a much better shot. On the other side of that, if Penn State's defense comes out strong and, and they get pressure on Brady White, they force turnovers, that's the only time Memphis has lost this year is when they've turned the ball over and lost in a turnover battle. So if Penn State's defense plays like they're capable of and, and you know Memphis's offensive line isn't playing uh, up to their capabilities and Brady White is, is rattled, then – then Memphis loses this game. If Brady White gets rattled, then it's it's more than likely over. My final question: I need your barbecue hot takes. What do we got? <laughs> so this is this is weird. I'm not I'm not the biggest barbecue guy. I'm really not. I'm more uh, more with the brisket. I like the pulled pork a little bit. So it's it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite, and you know, I know it's it's kind of the thing in Memphis. It's not my favorite. Uh, obviously, we we get rendezvous for every home game, and it's you know their brisket is incredible. Uh, there's also a place called Memphis Barbecue. Those are those are my two favorite. Memphis Barbecue is not talked about enough. It is it's very good. It's actually in South Haven, so it's a little, a little south of Memphis, but very, very good spot. So if you're heading to this game as a Penn State fan and you want to offend somebody from Memphis, what do you tell them in terms of barbecue? Oh, you tell them Rendezvous sucks. I mean, it, that's like that's the staple in Memphis. Rendezvous is a staple in Memphis. If you say Rendezvous sucks to a Memphis fan, you're you're probably starting to fight at that point. Sean, these fans were getting along so swimmingly in Dallas, and you've just thrown a wrench. Hey, he's he's, to try, he's trying to ruin it. I'm he's
1: trying to say riots. That's what. I, that's why I came. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christian, thank you for your time. You can give Christian a follow. Uh, might be very timely for you, Penn State fans, this weekend at Sea Fowler. Enjoy the game, and then enjoy your basketball coverage into the winter.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you.
1: Thanks again to Christian for hopping on with us for a bit. We'll see him in the press box for the game. Show him one thing that stood out there. We have done a lot of focusing on Brady White, on the Memphis offense. They put up a ton of points, and he says, well, you know, this Memphis defense against Penn State's offense, and it struck me when he said a Penn State offense that has not been very explosive. We just spent a lot of time talking about the offensive coordinator position. We'll see where it goes from here. But that's just strange to hear, and and, you know, you kind of assess the way they finished the year. No Noah Kane, no Sean Clifford. Beyond Hamler, we did not see much at all. Justin Shorter steps aside late in the season, and yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that regardless of who's calling the plays in this game on Saturday, and it is Tyler Bowen, the offense has a lot to do, and and you know, hey, you're looking for a springboard towards next year as well, because there's a lot of returning components of this offense.
0: Yeah, and it's certainly one of those those real unknowns right now, because I mean, you're not sure is is Bowen going to emphasize the chunk plays, and you know, James Franklin always comes out and talks about winning that battle. But, uh, you know, what is he going to do for the continuity of the offense, you know, running these drives up? We saw at the end of the year, Penn State had a couple of really, really good drives, um, not always uh, ending in seven points. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. I'm, I, I think, uh, as I've said before, I think Ty- Tyler Bone's a really sharp guy. I think he can figure out some sort of happy medium between there. To me, uh, the chunk plays are one thing. The turnover battle's the other Penn State's got to get on that. Um, I think Brady White has uh, has had tendency to to turn the ball over. They did so in their loss against Temple. If Penn State can force a you know a fumble or two early, you know they're
1: they're going to be sitting in, in a pretty good sh- in pretty good shape. He spoke highly of Brady White uh, and, and and as as did Christian and 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 that and he's been very impressive. But uh, the three games in which he's faced ranked opponents this year: Cincinnati twice, Southern Methodist earlier in the year. Um, you know. Six less than sixty percent passing, and every other game he was above sixty percent. You're looking for little things, maybe chinks in the armor. Because look, I, I'm high on Brady White. I think he is. Uh, I think he's a, a more capable quarterback than what Penn State faced last year against Kentucky, with a team that was built much differently. But quarterbacks have had success against Penn State down the stretch of this season. They've gone up against some good ones. Uh, Penn State has not been able to come up with some answers in that regard. So, you know, Tariq Castro Fields, whether or not this is his grand finale with Penn State. He has a lot to play for in this game at cornerback. Um, and, you know, at the safety spot, Garrett Taylor's in his final game. And Lamont Wade, can he continue that momentum? We saw him put together a really strong second half of the season into November. You know, this is another game where you look for another step forward from Lamont Wade because if he comes back, and I think we assume he will, You know, things are looking a lot rosier for that safety than it was coming into his junior season. To me, uh, this is a spot where
0: Micah Parsons needs to be that guy. I mean, we say he's all-American, no doubt about it. We've seen how talented he can be. Um, With the way that Memphis is going to go after it, Penn State can't take their skill position players lightly, they, they can play. I mean, those guys are, are really good. Like as we mentioned, I watched that SMU game earlier this mm-hmm. year, and, you know, they, they got a little bit of space, and, and they got going. So can't take those skill position guys for granted. Where I'm looking at is those defensive ends, and we still don't know how much we're going to see of Eter Gross Matos, but, you know, this is an opportunity for, for Shaka Tony. This is an opportunity for Jason Oway to, to sort of get going. Uh, one thing that that caught my eye or ear, I guess, this is a podcast, um, he mentioned the tight end not being in there, Joey uh, Magnifico. Yeah. A, a phenomenal name. A magnificent name. Uh, yeah, uh, really just going to miss that name out there. But <laughs> how important he was to that block, blocking scheme, and yeah. all of a sudden you take a, t- a tackle out of that as well. And you know what? This is, It's time for that defensive line to to sort of live up to that hype and, and sort of step up to the plate and, and get to Brady White. If they can do that they can force a fumble, they'll be okay. Uh, getting into predictions, uh, Penn State's a touchdown favorite. Seems about right. I mean, I don't know enough about Memphis. We think we know something about mm-hmm. Memphis, but without a coaching, you know, with the coaching change and, and switching over to uh, Ryan Silverfield, I, you just don't know which way it's going to come out. Kevin Johns is going to call the plays for Memphis. I have Penn State winning 38-30. I know all the talk about is about Penn State's defense, but, you know, we've seen them give up some points. We've seen them give up some yards. Now that they're
1: healthier, that might change a little bit, but uh, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. It will be, and I, I think there'll be plenty of points. I'm going 34-24, to 24, so I, I think at, at the end of the day, it'll be a little bit more of a cushion for Penn State, but by no means do I see the Nittany Lions running away from this one. Uh, I do think, you know, uh, you know w- with Memphis, their defense uh, across the board, I just don't – I can't point to the playmakers that Penn State brings to the table. Now, will those playmakers for Penn State crank it up? And we've seen Micah Parsons down the stretch, double-digit tackles. Can he come up with one of those – you know? Fumble recoveries in a run back, or can Eto'o grosmatos get it going? I think that's the key, and I, I do see this being their most productive pass rush game since way back. It feels like forever ago. Homecoming against Purdue when they put up ten sacks. I don't think they'll duplicate that performance, but I think it will be the best result uh, from their pass rush since that game. And and ultimately, I, I'm very very curious to see what the running back rotation will look like. Why don't we finish the season how we started it? Journey Brown has deserved every carry that he gets in this game. But we had a chance to talk to all four of those running backs. And, and for those who don't understand, we don't get access to true freshmen over the course of the season. So this is the first time Noah Kane, Devin Ford were there with microphones in their face yesterday alongside Ricky Slade, Journey Brown. Unless they're unless they have great poker faces, it sure seems like everyone is on board with coming back in 2020. They're ready to finish this, and you know Noah Kane, I just have to imagine so close to home, so close to where he's announced his commitment, and considering how they handled him and what James Franklin said about prioritizing his ability to play in a bowl game like this, and that's why they shut him down late in the year. I think we will see uh, some some spots for Noah. But it it may be restricted to a series or two or three, uh, like we did see earlier in the year. But I think that's a storyline that... (laughs) Granted, we've all been following it all year, but why not follow it again uh, against Memphis? Yeah,
0: no reason to talk about running backs <laughs> any more than we already have. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting with with Sean Clifford and that Tyler Bowen dynamic. I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to be okay when when you go on those scripted plays that you start the game with. And then what happens when they get off script? What happens when you know if they if they find themselves in in unenviable field position or something like that? We're going to see a lot from Sean Clifford tomorrow. Uh, you know, hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully he can, you know, get back to to the way that he was throwing around early in the season. Um, if not, I mean, it's a, it might be a long day for Penn State.
1: One more note of, uh, uh, here: I know a lot of people don't love to hear about special teams, but Joe Lorig, uh, special teams coordinator for Penn State, spent the last three years at Memphis, built up a very efficient special teams unit there. They're number two in the country this year. Number one is Penn State. So Lorig has his stamp on both kicker Riley Patterson, you know, first team all conference, 17 of 19 on field goals attempts, 6 of 7 from beyond 40. So something to watch there. Additionally, uh we heard about him from from Christian Gibson. At wide receiver, is the number 3 receiver, but he was a dangerous return man. Uh, one of the top returners and kickoffs in the country. So if you're looking for a game that's going to be close, and that's kind of how we're saying it, and, and points are going to matter, and there be you know, I think you got to watch for uh, for that kicking game and also the return game, and be able to match that with your special teams. You know, we haven't seen KJ Hamler in a situation where it wasn't called off, get loose. Wouldn't this be the prime, uh, the the great uh, opportunity for him to make a special teams impact uh, the, in a way we haven't necessarily seen develop over his third year on campus? So um, by the way, Sean. We'll 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 let the people know on the NFL draft declarations. But Shaka Toney, KJ Hamler, um, Lamont Wade. Am I missing anyone that that we're still waiting on? Tariq Castro Castrofield. And, and, and as I said, Tariq Castro Castrofield. So we don't have answers for you now, but we'll have them up on the site as soon as possible. Um, And additionally, you may have missed it last week during all the Christmas buildup and being busy with family. We have a full breakdown of this 2020 Penn State recruiting class, which signed last Wednesday. Barton Simmons, the director of scouting from 24-7 Sports, joined us for a really detailed 25-minute conversation on that 27-player class. So just want to encourage folks. I know it's a a hectic time of the year, but uh, we think we closed pretty strong here in 2019 with a really solid signing day show. We'll be back with you after the Cotton Bowl has been decided with some final thoughts on 2019 from the podcast. And I think that's about it here from Dallas. All, all but for now. Fo- all
0: but the football, yeah. yeah. So the
1: Cotton Bowl, of course, uh, kicks off at 12 Eastern
0: on Saturday. Uh, hopefully you get this episode in beforehand. If not, you're probably just here to hear the offensive coordinator stuff, and you probably shut, it off, shut us off by now. <laughs> so thanks for following along from Dallas. This is Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz for the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll see you on the field tomorrow. Now streaming on Paramount+. You ready, Bob? Ah! Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley won love. Rated PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.